You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Morning, excited that you're here today. If you haven't signed up for a small group, I gotta say, now would be the time to do it. They're filling up. Um, some great groups like you just saw with Financial Peace. I really want to encourage you, uh, especially coming out of our series, we we're talking about giving, having financial security, and really learning uh, what what to do with money and learning how to walk through uh, financial security is is powerful and it's a really uh, important thing. So sign up for that. We got uh, Jorge is leading that. Jorge and Anna are leading that. And they're gonna do an awesome job. Um, I am excited for small groups. I, uh, my wife and I are going to lead a, a college group. If you're college age, we're just going to open our home on Sunday nights. You can come over, study. We'll cook you food, hang out, talk about Jesus, and just have an opportunity, uh, especially if you're away from home, to have a home-type uh, environment where we just want to bless you and encourage you and uh, honestly have a lot of fun this fall and do a lot of fun stuff. So I'm, I'm excited for small groups. It's going to be a good time. Uh, this Season Love the Block is actually not going to be a small group. We are launching September 9th, Love the Block, as a full ministry at Banner Church. What does that mean for us? What it means is that uh, weekly we're going to have a sign-up where you can come and engage and be a part in what God is doing in the community. And so we, we loved having it as a small group, but I really specifically want to make that jump for it being a ministry because we want all people to be able to come and be a part of that and experience it, to grow in that way, whether it's one week or 12 weeks or whatever you can, but to come on Thursday nights from 6 to 7. And I have to say, our leadership team is doing a, such a good job preparing for this that you will be set up to win and to not only bless others, but feel blessed when you come. And so we said, man, we don't want just 15 people uh, for a small group. We, this is the heartbeat of our church to care for our community, and we want to love every block and every place in the city that needs the love of Jesus Christ. So if you were here at our outreach, you saw some of the fruit of that. So I want to encourage you, come plant with us, harvest with us, and see God move. We got people that come to our church now because they came to love the block, and we're like, all right, these people seem okay. Uh, I think I'll go to that church. So if you got a friend who maybe is not down with coming to a Sunday service, I want to encourage you. They're usually down with blessing their community. If not, you might want to, you know, reconsider your friends. Uh, But uh, all joking aside, come, be a part. We're going to have a sign-up going out every week, which is a good reason that, one, if you've not given your email on the connection card, please do that because we send out emails with really important event information. People are like, I didn't know it was happening. And I have to say, because I see the amazing job our team does sending out the email. If you get the emails, you'll know what's happening here. Two, uh, open the email when you get it. (laughs) Go to your junk folder, click the button, make sure that you're actually getting it and opening it, see what's happening, hear the testimonies, hear the opportunity, because great things are happening at Banner Church. Amen? Amen. There's a couple things I was going to bring up. I want to make sure they're here. I do see, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but just the other week, uh, our incredible team members, Tristan and Gianna, got married, and they're here today. Tristan and Gianna Willis pretty great. Just got back from Mexico. You look rested. Look, you had a good time. Very cool. And I think, I thought I saw the Calhouns in here. I did. Uh, today, we, you guys are just studs. This, this is amazing. Uh, we have Ronnie Shea Calhoun, correct? Yes. Awesome. You don't have to stand up with her. You can just wave. Everyone can see you. 
They make beautiful children, and they're just, they're growing the kids' ministry back here. Uh, <laughs> but awesome. So excited for you guys and bringing your kid and just uh, being amazing. But this has uh, been kind of a crazy week as I prepared for this sermon. We're going to be talking about Elijah. And uh, I, I, I think as I prepare for this sermon, and every time I prepare to talk on a topic that's heavy, I feel like... Uh, the week leading up to it, I feel the heaviness of that. And one of the things as I was preparing for this message that kept coming to my mind is really uh, the heaviness and struggles facing the world around us. And if you have seen the news or you uh, go online at all, then you likely know what is happening uh, over in Afghanistan and the people and the suffering that is occurring there specifically. Now there's suffering in Haiti and Myanmar and all kinds of things, but this week I was really struck uh, by the suffering and at the same time struck by the testimony of what God is doing in that country and that though there are uh, house churches and Christians and believers who are being persecuted uh, strongly, are being killed brutally, uh, that they are still seeing God move in powerful ways. And I thought before we jumped into a message that I believe is going to encourage us, I thought maybe we could join together and pray an encouragement upon our brothers and sisters around the world and specifically in Afghanistan today. Would you just join me in praying together? God, we thank you that we serve one God and there's one Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you who dwell here with us, that you are also with our brothers and sisters suffering in Afghanistan. And God, we thank you that even in darkness, you can bring light. And so we pray that the light of salvation would bring truth and hope and healing to that nation, that it would bring justice, that it would bring authority of Jesus Christ upon it. We pray for radical conversions, we pray for visions, and we pray deliverance upon our brothers and sisters who are suffering in that nation. We pray your authority upon it, we pray your might and your power upon it, and we pray your deliverance upon all of those home churches, those pastors and those members who are are living in fear right now. We thank you, God, that you are greater and stronger and that you can do a work. And God, may our hearts reflect a hope and desire and a longing. May we not forget or ignore, but may we press in. And so in this moment, we pray, God, bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's the best thing that we can do, right, when you're overwhelmed, is that we pray. Amen. And prayer isn't a last resort. It's the best resort. And so we pray and we believe. And you know what's awesome is that God moves. There's never been a move in the enemy that has not been countered by a move of God in mighty and powerful ways. God doesn't lose. Uh, but today I want to share a little bit about it. We're in our series on Elijah, and we uh, have had some great message, man. The past two weeks have been so powerful. I encourage you, if you haven't gone and seen the, or listened to those messages or uh, watched them online, we have them available. Go listen. So, so, so good. But today we're going to kind of pick up in 1 Kings 19. So if you brought your Bible, open there. Uh, if not, we're going to jump in here in a little bit, and the words will be on the screen. Um, I wanted to share a little bit of a moment that I had this past couple months. Uh, my wife and I, we traveled, we drove from here in Phoenix all the way to Missoula, Montana. So like the same distance to the border we are here, we were from Canada by the time we got up there. And I love road trips. Are there anybody here who loves road trips? Okay, I love road trips. I love driving. I love getting out. I love being around people and getting away from people all at the same time. I love both of those things, right? Uh, I 
love just driving out in the, in, the, in the woods and just being way out. And we went through parts of like Wyoming where I was like, this is in America, right? It's just way out. Um, and it was really cool. But what was so interesting is that as we were driving up into Missoula, we went through uh, this pass kind of through Salmon, Idaho. And if you look at a map and you see like the part of Montana that's trying to like stare into Idaho, it looks like a face, that there's a road right there that goes along Idaho and Montana. And there is a little pass there. It's really beautiful. There's some small little towns and, and all that. But there's a little pass right there. And we drove up through there. And as we were driving up, we came across the place that I happened to be reading about at the same time, which is probably one of those most defining places in the history of the American West. It's subtle and forgotten and maybe an overlooked moment, but probably one of the most defining moments in the history of the American West. And this place is called the Lemhi Pass. The Lemhi Pass. Let me explain. See, for 1,500 years, explorers had been confident confident that there was a water route that connected the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So confident that before they had found it, they put it on maps. That's pretty confident, right? So confident that they put it on maps. And so when Thomas Jefferson buys the Louisiana Purchase, he says, now we're going to find this water route from the east to the west. And so he creates the core of discovery. And because they're going to be tracing a river up and then back down to the Pacific, they hire, or he hires, two great canoe guides. And their names are Lewis and Clark. Because if you're going to do a river journey, what should you hire? River guides. So he hires these guys who are quality canoers. He says, listen, go find this. We all know it's here. We just need to find it. And what's going to happen is you're going to trace the Missouri all the way up, and then you're going to take your canoe, you're going to put it in the headwaters of the Columbia, and you're going to follow that all the way down, and you're going to be out in the Pacific. And they say, great, that'll take about six months. I think we can do it. So 15 months later, <laughs> they have gone farther than they ever expected to go, and here is Lewis standing over now the remainder with both feet. He can straddle it, the remainder of the river that they've come up with their canoes. So they have their canoes. They can no longer canoe. They've been carrying them for a while. They're standing across the river, and he washes his hands and his face, and he begins the climb to the top of the Lemhi Pass to this profound moment that they have been waiting for for 15 months. They're farther, they're exhausted, they're worn out, they're discouraged, right? They're maybe a little frustrated at each other. He climbs to the top looking to see this powerful moment where the beautiful river will wind their way down, taking them out to the Pacific Ocean. And so after a day of climbing, he gets to the top of Lemhi Pass, and he sees this. If you're not sure what this is, this is called the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> he does not see a smooth, calm waterway to the Pacific Ocean. What he sees is what one of the party calls the most terrible mountains I have ever beheld. <laughs> they have literally never seen mountains like this. They think, oh, we're going to climb the Appalachians, which are just glorified hills, and then we're going to float down. What they encounter is the depth and width of the Rocky Mountains in Montana. Right? <laughs> 
So, in this moment, they are frustrated. And when you read the journals, I was reading at the time that we passed through, when you read the journals, what you find is a group of people that are exhausted, isolated, full of doubt, are discouraged, are depressed. Now, they take a vote, and they decide, okay, we're going to basically ditch the canoes. We're going to go for it. I know we're river people. We're going to become mountain people, and fingers crossed we're going to make it. And if you didn't know, uh, they do. <laughs> they make it. But in that moment, they don't know, right? In that moment, all they see in front of them is the most terrible mountains I have ever beheld. That's what they see. What they see in front of them is an almost insurpassable obstacle, something they have never encountered before. They are not prepared for. And honestly, they're already lonely. They're already exhausted. They're already spent. They're already frustrated. They're already full of doubt. And they're already starting to feel depressed in that moment. Has anyone ever felt like that? You felt like you're finally climbed to the top of Lemhi Pass only to see the most terrible mountains you've ever beheld? Maybe you're here today, you're feeling all that work, all that effort. I gave everything, but now I'm just burnt out. I feel alone. I feel discouraged. Things didn't turn out like I thought they were going to turn out. And if you were honest with yourself, you're feeling depressed. Some of you feel that way. And you ask that question, right? Like, how can I go on? I'm staring at this thing, and I thought it was over, or maybe I, I thought it would finally click, or I thought it would work, and I'm just feeling like there's so much more. I want to encourage you today that just like Lewis and Clark, for you in your life, it doesn't end at Lemhi, that there is hope because God has a plan and purpose in your life. And what we see in Elijah is that even in depression, God can bring hope and life. Are you with me? See, Scripture tells us that Elijah was, was a man just like us. Elijah has been depressed. If you read this Scripture, what you find is a man who is completely depressed. The interesting thing is Elijah's depression comes after his greatest victory. Right, two weeks ago we talked about the showdown on the mountain, and he calls down fire, right? I mean, that's a, that's a dope moment, Right? Call, I've never called down fire, but I might be encouraged if I did it, right? Like, take that, ISIS, right? You know, that would be awesome. None of you laughed. That's all right. It's a second service. Um, <laughs> that would be great. I would be encouraged. And then it says the rain comes, and he's so fired up, he outruns a chariot, right? Outruns horses. Never outrun a horse either, but I would be encouraged by that too. Not a big runner, but, you know, is what it is. You would think the next scripture is like, then he was so fired up he started a church or he finally led that small group that Gillian keeps asking him to lead, right? Like, you'd think that would be it. <laughs> but instead, what we find is that he's depressed. Instead, what we find is that he is exhausted, discouraged, and depressed. Let's, let's, let's jump there real quick. If you got your Bible, go there. Uh, 1 Kings 19. This is right after he's outrun the chariot. Fire fell on the mountain. It was a powerful experience. They defeated the prophets of Baal, so they thought, or so he thought. He outruns the chariot. He goes into the city of Jezreel where Ahab is coming back to his crazy wife Jezebel, and he's there in the city. And then here's what happened. It says, Ahab told Jezebel, 
all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Basically, I'm going to kill you. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough! Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. How did this happen? It's not like what you would expect, right? Huge victory, and then he just goes into a place of crushing defeat. Fire fall from heaven, now totally depressed. How did he get here? How did Elijah get to a place of depression? It's a lot like how we do. Elijah, first and foremost, Elijah forgets God. If you're taking notes, write that down. I encourage you. I encourage you to take notes in sermons. People tell me like, well, I've been in church a long time. Great. Write it down. Teach it to other people. You have a job now. But our short-term memory only remembers seven things. Seven things. I have eight points. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> seven things. Write it down. Elijah forgets God. Look at verse 2. Jezebel sends a messenger saying, So may the gods do to me more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by, the time, by this time tomorrow. She says, Listen. You might have killed all my prophets, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill you. And he's scared. You would think that wouldn't scare him that much. He just killed 450 prophets of Baal. Now one person's like, I'm going to murder you. He's like, that's it, Lord, take my life. Like, what? <laughs> you just stood in front of the king. Why, why is this so challenging? Because honestly, Jezebel was insanely evil. Like, crazy. Not like that ex-girlfriend you're talking about. Like, I'm talking crazy evil. Like, real evil. Like, murdered thousands and thousands of people evil. Right? Super evil. And so what happens is Elijah, he survived the ravine. He helped the widow. He raised the dead. He's taken on Ahab. He's taken on the prophets of Baal. But he's never really encountered somebody who's as committed to Baal as he is to Yahweh. And in this moment, he finds somebody who's as committed to Baal as he is to Yahweh, and he starts to doubt. And he starts to forget all those things he's seen. He starts to forget those experiences. It scares him. And you might think, how? How? He just saw fire fall from heaven. Why is he scared now? It's because he's exhausted. Because he's, he's a person, right? See, the lies of the enemy seem way more potent when we're exhausted. They seem way more insurmountable when we're exhausted. Evil seems way more insurmountable when we're exhausted. And the reality is in this moment, Elijah is exhausted, and he begins to forget the authority of God and the authority of what he's seen, and he begins to think in the authority of man. And in this case, Jezebel has a lot of authority in the world. She's got soldiers. She's got people who could come kill him. She's got resources. And he begins to think in the scope of the world, and he forgets what God has done in the scope of the kingdom. Because he's exhausted. Why? Because second thing, Elijah wore himself out. Some of you, this is going to get hit home for you. Elijah wore himself out. Before the portion that I just read, we see in 1 Kings 18, 46, that after the fire falls and the rain falls, it says the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 
Then we see in the portion we just read in verse 3, it says, Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. This is a ton of running. Uh, I'm not a big runner. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, not a big. I like to run to things or away from things. But I'm not one of those people. It's just like I'm so zen when I run. I'm amazed by those people. If you're one of those people, you are a champion in my book because I do not possess the mental fortitude that you possess. That like I just feel so zen when I'm out there for 25 miles. And I'm like, really? <laughs> How? <laughs> I get like down the block and I'm like, ah, oh, so bored. <laughs> If a lion came around the curve and started chasing me, then I'd get the miles in. But other than that, I'm like, no one's here. It's too hot, right? Doesn't work for me. That's why I do other things. But he's running. But not only that, if we look at Elijah, we look at the season he's been through, that is an exhausting season of life, right? This is a season of life where he has been threatened with murder, or death multiple times. He's traveled different places. He's ra raised people from the dead. That takes some emotional work, raising people from the dead. I'm sure there's a little tension, right, in that moment. Right? How about the whole experience on the mountain? That takes some emotional output. So here he is, and you would think, and he's like, we did it, guys. We crushed him. We destroyed him. We did it. And then it was like, nah. Have you ever, like, given a ton of energy of something just to, just to be like, if I could just get to blank, then I'll be fine, and then there ended up being more after it, right? Like, if I could just get to vacation, then we'll be fine. And then you remember, like, oh, I got to go back to work after vacation. And all of those things are still there, and I've been gone a week, so now there's double, right? Like, why did I spend $3,000 just to be more depressed when I got home? Because... We wear ourselves out, and he's worn out. Just look at his journey. It says, Elijah runs to Jezreel. From the top of the mountain, he runs to Jezreel. I got some maps here because I'm a visual person. So this would be the, like, equivalent of running across the city of Phoenix. So if, we, if I was like, hey, let's all run from here to uh, Sun City or something, this is, like, where he runs. If you notice these bumps, these are mountains. And he's going from Mount Carmel all the way down to Jezreel. That in itself is a lot. He outruns a chariot across the city of Phoenix. Pretty good amount of pace. And it's the power of the Lord. Okay, so then he's afraid and he runs again. He runs from Jezreel all the way down to Beersheba. Let me give you some perspective here. Like, how, how far is that? This is about 145 miles. So, uh... Flagstaff to Phoenix is 144 miles. So just imagine that you ran. Right now, it's like, we're all going to die. And we all got up, and we just ran to Flagstaff. Uh, <laughs> that is the equivalent. How many of you would be exhausted when we got to Flagstaff? Yes. How many of you would get out of Scottsdale? Yeah, not me. <laughs> be like, send the rain, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I should have run downhill towards Mexico. would have been fine. <laughs> That's where he runs. And not only that, I'm going to give you actually one more. Let me give you one more. Not only that, after that, it says that God, and we're going to see, God takes him. It says he goes out into the wilderness, and God is going to take him to Mount Sinai or Horeb out here on the end of the peninsula. So look at that distance right there. That's a long way. Some of you guys are like, I run that in a day. <laughs> I don't. That's a long ways. That's a long ways. That is an ultra, ultra, ultra marathon. See, the hard part is when we burn ourselves out, when we get exhausted, we struggle to maintain perspective. I know I do. 
When I am exhausted, when I'm burnt out, when, I've, when I feel just poured out and empty, it is harder for me to come against and fight against and walk with the Lord against the lies of the enemy that come against me. It's not that the lies of the enemy, the enemy are more powerful. It's just I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm poured out. When I have energy, right, when we have energy, we're like, we got this. I can do it. God is for us. Like, yeah. You know, like we got the, like, all the good songs, like, you know, all the, it might get loud, right, and all these, like, youth energy songs, right? We feel that when we have energy. It's like, we can do it. When we don't have energy, when we're exhausted, it's like, I don't know. I can't go on. This is never, literally, this is always going to be like this. And that's what happens. Elijah was worn out. He wore himself out. And so he did what many of us do when we get worn out is that he shut people out. Taking notes, right? Elijah shut people out. Jump back with me, if you would, uh, to verse 3. At the end of verse 3, it says, He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. He left his helper, and he went 15 miles, roughly, into the Negev desert, thinking, this is the end. She's going to find me. She's going to kill me. If you look at the map that I showed you, right, if you put up slide two, you can see, or picture uh, whatever that was, picture three, um, you can see that he goes from the top point of Israel into the kingdom of Judah to the very bottom point. What is he doing? He's going as far as he can while still being around his people. Like he's getting as far away as physically possible and then going a little farther. But think about this. It says he left his servant in Beersheba, which means his servant ran with him from here to Flagstaff. And then when his servant got with him to Flagstaff, he was like, hey, man, I'm good. You need to stay here. I'm out. And he left him. Could you imagine? If you run with me to Flagstaff and I'm like, hey, sorry, Stephen, I got to go on my own, you'd be pissed. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Why? Because you're committed to somebody if you run, if you travel with them for 145 miles, right? All that he's gone through, all that he's been since he leaves him. It wasn't unusual for prophets to leave their servants someplace and go out and meet with the Lord, but it is a severe amount of commitment to go that far with someone you're following. And what does that mean? It means the servant is committed to him. He's committed to God's calling into this space. But what does Elijah do? He shuts him out. He leaves him, and he goes alone out into the wilderness. See, so often when we are exhausted, when we are burnt out, when we are discouraged, we shut out the very people who are closest to us. Why? Because we don't want to hear the good things. We want to focus on the negative. We don't want a pep talk. We want to be in our stuff. We want to roll around in our mud. People will be like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just don't want, I don't I feel like people are judging me. Like, no, I think they're trying to help you because <laughs> they see you suffering and they want to speak life into you. We're like, I don't know. And so we isolate. Man, can I tell you, the enemy loves an isolated person. Like the, like the struggling deer at the back of the pack. That's the one the lion goes after. And that's what we do when we take the people who are close to us and we push them away. And usually it's because we don't want to have them speak hope into us. We want to focus on the negative. And this is what Elijah was doing. Elijah focused on the negative. 
See, Elijah forgot the lessons God taught him at the Kareth Ravine, forgot the lessons that God showed him in Zarephath, forgot what God showed him in Carmel. And this is what he says in verse 9 at the end, or sorry, in verse 4 at the end. He says, He asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What does that mean? It means, listen, all that I have done has done no more to help this crazy nation actually choose to follow you. All of this work is meaningless. I can't get people to care about you. I can't get people to serve you. I can't get people to want to be with you. I am just frustrated. I talk to pastors who get in this space. Like, I can't get people to care about Jesus. All they care about is themselves. They won't serve. They won't love others. And they're frustrated. And what happens is, like, there's all these victories happening and life transformation that's happening, but they're just so frustrated and focusing on the negative that they're missing what God is doing. This happens in my own life. I get so frustrated on the negative thing here that I miss the miracles that are happening over here and the life that's happening over here. So laser-focused on God or on the negative that I'm missing what God is doing. I'm missing what God has done. I'm forgetting it. And I get into a place of despair. This is what happens. We get into a place of despair. And when we're in a place of despair, we begin to lower our theology to meet our present reality. I'm sick. I've been sick. I'll always be sick. God cannot heal. My family is hurting. We've been hurting. They won't listen to me. They won't change. God cannot restore. This person this friend betrayed me. I don't want friends. I'm going to put on my armor. I don't want to trust people again. I don't like the church. They just hurt. They're just mean. We begin to focus on the negative. And the, the tragic part is that we miss all that God is doing, has done, and will do. Because we're so laser focused, we begin to lower what we know to be true about God to to just, we bring it down into the muck of our depression and our struggle. And this is what Elijah began to do. He said, I'm no better than my father's God. This is worthless. Mind you, he's seen fire fall from heaven. But it's worthless. Elijah was depressed. I think we could look at the scripture, and I think we could say, Elijah was depressed. I know we use that word all the time now, but Elijah was depressed. We're a generation that seems to be ravaged by the hold of depression. You talk to people and they say, I'm just, I'm just depressed, as if it were no big deal. But it is the cancer of our mind as a generation right now. And depression is not God's plan. If you are struggling with depression, then hear me. Let me speak beyond your situation. Let me speak to your soul and say, that is not God's plan for your life, to be trapped in depression. That is not his plan for your mind. That is not not his plan for the chemistry of your brain. That is not his plan for your body. That is not his plan for your spirit to be under, under depression. God is a God of freedom. And so just like Elijah, God wants to bring you to a place of freedom. I'm going to read how he does it for Elijah. Let's go to verse 5, 19 verse 5. You still with me? Amen. Okay, good. It says, And he lay down, Elijah, and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. 
And he ate and drank and lay down again. It says, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. It says, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. I love this. How does God restore and renew Elijah when he's in a place of depression? If you are in a place of depression, hear these words. God makes Elijah eat and rest. I love this. Elijah takes a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Rest your mind. And But I'm not saying like you've been napping for like a year and a half in quarantine and now you're going to nap some more. I'm saying like you feel poured out and empty and God wants you to take intentional rest. And I mean like intentional. I mean like not like you take your phone and flip it upside down on the nightstand next to your bed in case it buzzes because someone wants to go out and do something. I'm saying like you take it and shut it off, like turn it off. I know, it's crazy. You can turn them off. I know they've made it hard. There used to just be an off button. Now you got to hold like six buttons with your hand and then like be like, yes, confirm, confirm. Yes, stop listening to me, confirm. And then shut it off and then flush it down the toilet and never see it again, right? It's what you have to, you have Apple Care. It's fine. You can get it a little wet. Get a new one. That's how Apple Care works. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to get rest. You need to take the television out of your bedroom so you actually can lay down and get sleep in your life and get rest. You need to take a nap. You're grumpy. All you can see is the negative. You need to wake up and go, like, you know what? Whew. God has done amazing things in my life. And remember again. Also, I love it, verse 6. It says he wakes him up and feeds him. He doesn't leave him sleep. He wakes him up and is like, come on, buddy, eat something. It's like what I do to my toddler, right? <laughs> it's a very, like, gentle, nourishing moment. I love it because Elijah's kind of a bit hangry. He's been running for a long time. And if you're like me, uh, I, I get a little bit hangry. I, I'm being honest, right? Like, you haven't eaten all day, and all of a sudden the little things feel like big things to you. And it's like, man, turns out you should just had a pretzel or something and chilled out. <laughs> but there's something symbolic that's happening here when the angel ministers to him. It says he makes him a cake uh, on hot stones. And that cake that he makes him is the same type of cake that the widow at Zarephath makes. So here's Elijah saying, I just want to die. And God provides him this miraculous, miraculous provision of this cake that reminds him of the time he met a widow who was so distraught and depressed, she said, I just want to die. And God said, you know what? Just start pouring out the oil and making the food and cake, and it won't run out. I'll provide. And he's reminding him. He's not just nourishing his body. He's nourishing his spirit. God wants to nourish your heart supernaturally. Did you know this? God wants to be a source of rest for you. He wants to be a source of rest. That's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, God is not some angry Zeus-looking Thor sky being who's like hoping that you do good enough so he just doesn't decide to strike you down today or maybe listen. God is a loving Father 
who cares for you personally and individually, whose heart is for you, and his desire is that you would find your rest in Jesus Christ. The hard part is we find our rest in so many other things. Working for the weekend, that's great. I also love going out of town and going camping and having a great weekend, but it won't give rest for your soul because when you come back from the weekend, guess what it's going to be? The same and it's shocking as, he, as people how quickly the things that we use to medicate our lack of rest become the addictions that overwhelm us and take more rest. Man, I'm just having a hard day, so I come home, I have a beer. And then every day I come home and I'm having a hard time, I have a beer. So then every time I'm having a hard time, I have a beer. And then I'm just having a beer and I'm having a hard time all the time. And things that aren't necessarily intrinsically bad become addictions because we're not coming to him, all who labor and rest. We're coming to television. We're coming to things. We're coming to all kinds of things, relationships, people, right? But he says, come to me. Let me nourish you. Find your rest in me. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do, not sometimes, the greatest thing we can do when we are exhausted, isolated, full of doubt, discouraged, and depressed is to find our rest in Christ. Get to a quiet place. Be still with Him. Rest in Him. Shut out the chaos of the world and be still. And we see Elijah, verse 8, says, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. I love this. God brings Elijah into his presence. Let me give you a little context here. God brings Elijah like, well, he's already talking with him, kind of. There's an intentional step that God is making to teach something to Elijah. Because what it says is he gave him food, uh, bread from heaven, basically, supernatural bread for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you've been with us at any time we've talked about the Old Testament, that might kind of start sounding a little familiar because, well, what happened to Israel is as they were in the desert for 40 years, God gave them and sustained them with bread from heaven. Elijah would have known this. The people of God sustained by the bread of God for 40 years. And now here he is sustained by the bread of God for 40 days. The people of God, Israel, were brought to a mountain where God revealed his presence, restored his covenant, and showed his glory to Moses. God takes Elijah now to the same mountain to, re to restore him and to reveal his glory. Pretty awesome, right? God is pretty, pretty cool like that. But he's not just bringing him to any mountain. He's bringing him to a mountain that is significant in understanding God's presence was here. The mountain where the fire of God fell that is still singed black on the top today by the fire of God, right? The, the presence of God was here. He's making a statement to Elijah. He's bringing him into his presence. Come, come spend time. Come be with me. Come be in my presence. Can I tell you that my favorite thing about living now after Jesus has come and sent his spirit is that we do not need to all now get up in pilgrimage to this mountain. We have the presence of God with us because of the Holy Spirit. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the indwelling presence of God by the Holy Spirit. You're like, that sounds crazy. I know, isn't that awesome? If it were like super simple and lame, why would you follow it and give your life to it? <laughs> It's profound. 
We have the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul, Paul looks at the people and says, as he's writing to the church, he's like, don't you remember that you're a living temple? Did you know that you are a living temple of the Lord? So when we gather, whether it's in this building or a small group, where you gather, that is where temple is happening. That was everything to the Jewish people, to have a temple, to have the temple. Where you gather, there's temple. That's why it matters that you are a part of the body of Christ. Because I think we've seen in the country that if enough bricks of the temple go missing, it becomes problematic for the temple. It's not problematic for God, but the temple suffers. <laughs> That's my uh, come to church consistently ad. And join a small group ad right there. There it is. <laughs> but wherever we go, the presence of God is there. That means when you are depressed, exhausted, feeling isolated and alone, in that moment, you can have a relational moment with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God, who can renew, restore, and give life to you. The key is just to be intentional. You can do that in your office. You can do it at your school. You can do it in your car, right? Here in this place, it's, it's awesome when you can come together with other believers and be intentional. But you can do that anywhere. Can I tell you, if you're struggling with depression and anxiety, can I just encourage you to spend time with the Spirit? And, and it might, there might be a tension at first, if we're going to be honest. There might be a tension of like, what, what do I do? And like, is he going to speak to me? And I just want to encourage you, just wait on him. It'll teach you to be patient and restful and just to Wait. And just invite the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you move upon me? Would you renew me? But not only that, God uh, didn't just come that he would have an encounter with his presence. He came to do something specific for Elijah. And we see that Elijah's worn out. He shut people out. He's focused on the negative. He's forgotten God. But God has not forgotten Elijah. And so here's what he does for him. Verse 9. In uh, 19, verse 9. It says, And he came to a cave. Elijah came to a cage, cave and lodged in it. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he, meaning God, said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And, be and behold, the Lord passed by. This is just like uh, how Moses has experienced where the glory of God passes by. It says, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now that is an understated strong wind, right? We just had a, mon like a you know, monsoon come through that broke some trees I had. If I saw a monsoon wind come through and break rocks, I would move. I love you all with all of my heart, but I'm moving, right? I'm just saying, I love Arizona. I'm going to live here till the day I die. But wind starts breaking rocks, I'm out. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone. Some of you will probably be like, I have a video, and it has happened. Well, I'm still staying then, I guess. But a mighty wind comes through, and then it says after the wind, because the Lord was not in the wind, after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a, a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
I love this. This is reminiscent, right, of Moses. Moses on the mountain. The glory of God passes by, so he covers his face when he goes down because his face is so radiant. And here in this moment, we see the wind blow. We see earthquake. We see fire. All of these were signs, and God had done these. Uh, all th he does them all throughout the Old Testament to reveal his glory and reveal who he is and his power over nature. And Moses, or uh, sorry, Elijah had seen these things before. But what I love is that God is not in all those. He's in this low whisper because God is not speaking to Elijah based off his past needs. He's speaking to Elijah based off his present need. He's speaking to Elijah right now. And very specifically, God gives Elijah his word. Now, I want to explain this because how God speaks to Elijah is different than how God speaks to us today. But it is not any less powerful or renewing or transforming. Okay? Okay. See, all that noise, and yet where God was, was in the still small voice. That's where God was. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in that still small voice. God was coming to speak to Elijah personally. That's what God or that's what Elijah needed. Elijah had seen firefall. He's seen the power over nature. He's seen all these experiences. He didn't need an experience. He needed the voice of the Father speaking to him, saying, I have not forgotten you. I am for you. I am with you. That's what God needed. And I love that, that God always speaks in the way we need to hear. And in this moment, it was a low whisper. In Hebrew, it says, a soothing stillness. That's how he speaks to him. He speaks to him in a soothing stillness. I remember as a teenager learning how to pray, and um, yeah, I wasn't really, like, sure what to do, to be totally honest. You know, as a young person, like, how, how to pray, what to expect. And so I would be like, I would just ask God questions, and then I would just wait, and be, you know, it'd be like, um, Lord God, like, what am I supposed to do after school? I don't know what I should do. And then I would just, or I'd be like, should I go to this party? I'm not sure. Or should I go to this thing? And then I would just wait. And then, like, I would hear in my brain, like, do it, right? And then I would be like, okay, is that you? Or did I just think because I want to do this, right? And I would have this thought. Anyone ever had an internal monologue where you're like, okay, God, speak to me, and you're just, like, quiet? And then it's like, like, you're just trying to listen. And I was like, how does God speak to me, right? And I remember asking somebody, like, I don't, I don't, is he going to, is he going to audible voice like Elijah? Like, Elijah, what are you doing here, right? Like, join a small group. You know, like, what is he going to say, right? Come to love the block. Love your community. Stop posting on Facebook. You know, like, what is he going to say to you? How do you know? How is he going to speak to you? And I already gave you, uh, I already gave the first half away, and that's the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit reveals, and the Holy Spirit speaks. And sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through other people through prophecy or words or things like that. But the profound way that God gives us his word and has given us his word is through the word of God. That God has given us the Bible. Did you know that the Bible is the Word of God. It is God speaking through time to you. Now, it was written by authors, by the inspiration of God, speaking to a specific audience, and yet it also speaks to us today. It is alive and active. When you read the Word of God, God speaks to you. And the amazing thing is when you read the Word of God as someone who has received the Holy Spirit and allowing God to reveal in you and through you what He's saying to you in the Word of God. See, the most powerful, profound, beautiful, and living word ever given is the Word of God. It is alive and active. 
2 Timothy 3 tells us all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's interesting, when I preach a message, people be like, wow, pastor, like, that, I felt like that was, like, just for me. Like, wow, it's like speaking exactly to me. And I, I appreciate that. Uh, but I want, to hear, want you to hear me say, I didn't write the Bible. If you get something good, my hope is that you get something from the Bible. And the reason that's good is because God wrote it. It's just my job to tell you what it says in there. But the reason it's speaking to you from Scripture, if you feel like, wow, that verse is speaking to me, it's like, yes, because it's a living Word of God. It's speaking to you. Also, counterpoint, if you're feeling convicted, don't blame me. It's in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're feeling stirred. If you're feeling convicted, you're feeling challenged. If you're feeling renewed, you're like, wow, this is like just, just speaking to me. Everyone, anyone just been reading a scripture and be like, how is this the exact thing I needed right now? People be like, what are the odds? Like, they're not odds. It's the word of God. It's alive and active, right? Hear me. If you are struggling in a place of depression, can I just encourage you to go deeper into the word of God? Now, again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying it's good. Sometimes when we are depressed and frustrated, it is hard. It is hard to be in the Word and not be distracted, not be discouraged, not feel dry. But it always is good because the Word of God brings life. And oftentimes the time where I feel like, man, I just can't, I don't know if I can hear the Lord. It's because I have gone away from being in the Word where He's speaking to me. And it's not that He's not speaking. I'm just not listening. And so if you need encouragement, can I tell you, the Word of God is full of encouragement for your life. If you need encouragement, go to the Word. If you need renewal, go to the Word of God. If you need to hear how special you are to Him, go to the Word of God where it says, you are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. If you feel depressed because you feel like you failed some plan of God for your life and blown it, can I tell you, go to Scripture and read where Jesus prays for you and prays that you would realize that God loves you like He loves Jesus. That's amazing. Go to the Word of God and be renewed. Because when God speaks, he speaks truth. I know we live in an era of subjective truth. That's a lie. It's fake. It's not real. There's no such thing. Sub subjective truth is just clever opinions. There is objective truth. Things are objectively true and not true. And I, I will go to war on that. That's not in my message, but I'm going to say that for Jamin. Because when Jamin and I hang out, this is what we talk about all the time. And Patrick, when we hang out, this is what we talk about. But the Word of God is truth, and this is what he does for Elijah. I love this. I, I know. Let me, let me tell you this. I know y'all have been drinking out of these big water bottles. You're online. You can go get snacks or something right now, and so there's, there's a tension right now. Can I just say, I'm going to give you this point. This is the most important point of the message. Save your potty break for five minutes because I'm going to tell you something important, okay? Okay. God replaces lies with truth. This is how God restores us out of depression is that he replaces the lies of depression with the truth of Jesus Christ. That, how did Elijah overcome depression? Because God took away those lies and replaced them with truth. It's subtle, but let me explain. Verse 14 
He says to him, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. This is Elijah. He says, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life to take it away. He's got this internal monologue. Those of you who have struggled with depression, you know what I'm talking about. It's the script you go on in your brain all the time. It's always going to be like this. I'm never over going to overcome this. No one cares. No one sees me. No one knows me. No one knows my struggle. I'm different than anybody else. I'm weird. I've failed. I'm not, I can't make it happen. I've messed up the plan in my life, right? Some of, we, we've all had a monologue in our brain at some point because of the place that we are in, the negativity that we're in. Here is Elijah's. I, it wasn't enough. No one cares. No one follows you. It's just me. I'm all alone. It's never going to end. I might as well just die. That right there is how depression leads to suicide, is thinking that nothing can ever change or nothing will ever change. That is a lie of the enemy. And so God says to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, Eli, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mechalah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall put Jehu, or shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That seems obscure, but let me explain. Verse 9, God says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? He says, God, I did everything you asked, and it wasn't enough, and no one cares. No one cares what I'm doing. No one loves me. I failed. I'm a failure just like everyone before me. And then God shows him his power, and he speaks to him in a still, small voice, and he says again, Elijah, what are you doing here? He asks the same question twice. And Elijah, guess what he does? Gives him the same answer. <laughs> I ask my kids sometimes the same question twice, hoping they'll give a better answer. Elijah gives the same one, right? <laughs> he says, nobody cares. No one likes me. I'm alone. I've done all this for you, and nothing has changed. No one follows you. No one's going to pursue you. The king is the worst. And everything is terrible. I should just die. And God literally says to him in verse 15, basically, that's not true. That's not true. Because here's what I'm going to do. You're going to anoint new kings. And those kings are going to bring justice. And they're going to bring a vengeance upon the people who have been committing evil. He says, well, I'm all alone. And God says, no, you're not. You're not alone. There's 7,000 people who are with you. 7,000. Now, in the scope of a nation, not a ton, but more than one, 7,000. You're not alone. There's 7,000 people who are in the same position that you're in. You're not alone. See, this is a powerful action of God. It's when we are covered with the lies of the enemy, God comes and he replaces him with the truth of the Word of God. This is, so, this is so important because all throughout life what happens is we're like a pin board and people stick to us, I think, or we stick to ourselves, the lies of the enemy. You're a failure. You're neurotic. You're a bit of a mess. You're not going to do it. You blew it, right? Or we stick them to ourselves. You're an addict, right? You're just anxious. You're just not enough. And we stick those things to ourselves. Are you with me here? 
Okay, good. I want to make sure I haven't lost you here because this is important because some of you today are covered head to toe in the lies of the enemy. Words, phrases, thoughts, experiences that have been pinned to you that do not define you, but you have allowed the enemy to define you. But God, by his power, wants to replace those lies with truth. You say, I'm alone. God says, no. And his scripture says, you are not alone because I'm with you. Say, I'm forgotten. I'm forgotten. No one remembers me. God says, no, I will never leave you or forsake you. You say, I'm a failure. I'm unwanted. Someone pinned to you unwanted, a lie of the enemy unwanted, or that you're broken or unlovable. And God says, that is not true. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God. You cry out, Abba, Father. You are his. That's the truth. And God wants to strip away those lies of the enemy and replace them with truth. He wants you to unpin those from you and lay them down at the altar and receive the truth of Jesus Christ upon your life, that you are chosen, not forsaken, that you are a child of God, that you don't have to earn anything, that you've not blown anything, that you've not lost anything, that there is a plan and purpose for your life and your future, that his plan is for you to prosper, not to destroy you, that there is hope and healing for anybody who's in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to speak to you. If you are depressed today, if you're here and you're struggling in a place of depression, if you're online and you are depressed, allow God to strip away the lies of the enemy and receive the truth of Jesus Christ for your life today. Receive the truth for you today. God begins to replace the lies with truth. God, I'm all alone. No, you're not. God, it's over for me. No, it's not. He begins to speak truth into his life. The question today is, will you allow God to replace the lies with truth? Some of you are thinking right now, you're struggling with depression. You're thinking, I'm going to leave the same as I walked in. It's just some things God cannot do. That is not true. But he desires to set you free, but he won't force your hand you got to choose to lay it down to him. Amen? Last thing, and band, you can come up. I love this. Is not only does God begin to replace uh, lies with truth, God gives Elijah purpose. See, God reawakens Elijah's purpose, not so that he, like, earns his love. And it's not this, like, the way that it reads is not like, hey, man, yeah, stop crying and get back to work, right? Like, rub some dirt on it, right? The way that it reads is a loving father who's trying to remind his son that there's a plan and purpose for his life. He says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, son of Nimshi, you'll anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. When we moved here uh, to Arizona, not many of you might know this, but it was actually our second try at moving here. Uh, this was our, our, our second time out of the gate, so to speak. The first time, we were part of a team that was going to move here and plant a church. And we were going to be on, uh, be leads on that team, part of a church that we worked at. And we were like all set. And uh, we found out we were going to have a kid. And we were like fired up. We're like, yes, yeah. so, like we're finally, I've been wanting to move to Arizona my whole life. Finally, like we're going to move to Arizona. We're going to have this great moment. We're going to have our kid. And uh, we were pumped. And in the span of a week, we went from that 
excitement to losing uh, our child and talking with the team, watching that team kind of fall apart and being like, okay, well now we're not moving. So I, I ended, I started the week excited about the possibility of my future and I ended the week living in the same gross crackhead neighborhood that I lived a week before, not getting out, not going to the place that I felt like God was calling us. And I, I, in that moment, experienced what I believe to be depression. And I know everybody's different, but for me, in that moment, I was depressed. And I struggled to recognize or to see a way out. It was like my limb high pass. I climbed to the top. I thought this was it. Like, this is where God has us, only to see the most terrible thing in front of us. And in that moment, I just... I, prayed to God. And my prayers were kind of not like the most spiritual prayers. <laughs> they were mostly prayers like, God, haven't I done enough for you? Haven't I done enough? For, I've served in ministry for 10 years. Like you couldn't let my kid live. That, those are my prayers. I love David because him and I prayed the same kind of prayers at points in our life. And I don't think God is afraid of your prayers if you bring them to him honestly and reverently before him. I think God is okay with what on earth. I am a finite person and I don't understand the pain and suffering of the world. And God began to speak and encourage me through scripture and through the Holy Spirit. And I remember him really clearly speaking to me and saying, listen, what I'm gonna teach you in this season, how I'm gonna grow you in this season despite all the suffering, is going to prepare you for the season you're going to lead in in the future. And as I prepare to kind of have the conversation with my family who are all planning on moving and saying like, hey, we're going to stay here. We're going to commit here. We're going to be here. I'm a big like roots planted until they're not person. So we're going to be here. We're all in until God calls us. As I prepared to have that convo, I felt like God was saying to me, in the moment that I thought it was over, it was finished, the dream was done, it wasn't going to happen, I felt like I was really saying, I'm not finished with you yet. And in my depression, I think that was the most encouraging thing God could have said. I'm not done with you yet. Because when you're depressed, you feel like it's over. You feel like it's always going to be this way. See, Elijah had huge moments. And I think he thinks his ministry is over. He goes off to die in the wilderness. I'm done. That's it. It's over. I've failed. But God looks at him and says, I'm not finished with you yet. I have a plan and purpose for your life. And listen, it's going to look different than it looked before, but I still have a plan and purpose in your life. Listen, somebody here today or watching online, you are depressed. You are exhausted. You are poured out. And I want you to hear me say as someone who has walked through darkness, I hope you would just give me the grace to say to you, God is not finished with you yet. God is not done with you. This is not the end of your story. This is not the end of your journey. This is not the title of the chapter of your life, depression. That is not it. God is not finished with you yet. No matter how depressed, no matter how lonely you feel, no matter how far gone you might feel, God has a plan and purpose for your life.
And listen, you might not have the physical ability. You might be looking at your physical ability and say, I don't have the physical ability to do what I used to do, but God is not finished with you yet. You might look at your uh, your finances and say, I don't have the finances to do what I thought I was going to do. Listen, God is not finished with you yet. You might look at your situation, your circumstances, your location, your community and say, I don't know. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. But listen, God is not finished. If you are still breathing, God is still moving. If you are still alive, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want to encourage you like God encouraged Elijah to step into the calling on your life, to step out of the cave and say, God is not finished with me yet. It doesn't end on Lemhi Pass. I got somewhere to be and I got somewhere to go and I'm going where God calls me. And to step up out by the power of the Holy Spirit of that moment, that time, that season, that life of depression and be released in the name of Jesus, stepping into the calling for your life. God is not finished with you yet. God is not done with you yet. It's not over. You have not finished. You are not forgotten. God has a plan and purpose for your life. I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with me today? If you're feeling lonely, exhausted, shut out, shut down, or honestly flat out depressed, I believe that God wants to renew you today. We're going to pray for two things, and then at the end, we're going to do just like we did in the first service, and I'm going to open the altar. And if you feel like today you are struggling, or maybe it's someone in your family or relationship who's struggling with depression, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to boldly, I know it's scary, some people so scary, but I want to encourage you to take a step to come to the altar and lay it down. If you've got things pinned on you that you need to strip away, and have God replace it with truth. And I'm going to invite you to come down and have that moment. Again, you're not responding to me. I'm just inviting you to respond to the Lord and have a moment, you and him. And you can have it in your seat, but I think there's something powerful about taking a step because the enemy wants to convince you that you need to leave with depression if you came in with depression. But hear me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are healed. God can and will heal you, and we want to believe that with you. But I want to pray two things. One, if you bow your head and close your eyes, maybe this morning you're hearing me preach, and you have never heard of the freedom of Jesus Christ. But today's the day. Today, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ, he saw you and he knew you from the beginning of time. All your sin, all your shame, maybe even the shame that locks you into depression, he saw that and he loves you so deeply that he stepped out of time. He stepped into this space. He stepped onto the earth and he took your sins to the cross and he died for your sins. He paid the debt that you could not pay for your sin and for your shame and they buried him in the grave but on the third day he rose in victory and he invites you into the freedom of a new life to be born again says if anyone is in Jesus Christ the old is gone the new has come and if you're here this morning and you need hope for the future and healing for the past then Jesus Christ is here and what you need to do is declare him as savior over your life to surrender your heart and say Jesus I need you as my Lord and Savior today is your day to not only have hope and healing in this life, but securing your soul for all eternity. If that's you today, I'm just going to invite you in person or online. Would you just lift your hand and put it back down? Every eye closed, every head bowed. Let's pray.
pray together, Jesus, we thank you this morning that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, that everyone who puts their hope in you will receive right now the miraculous hope of Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we lay ourselves down and we declare you as our Savior, that you do a miracle in every life, we thank you that there is hope and healing for those who choose to follow you in your name. Amen. Second thing this morning, staying in this moment, if you're here today and you've been struggling with depression, before I open the altar, before I invite you to have a moment, I just, I would really be honored to pray for you this morning because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to set you free. If you're here and you're struggling in that space, you never, never be ashamed, but receive the healing today. If that's you and you're saying, I just, I need healing. I need those things, those lies to be stripped away or I'm, I'm just poured out and exhausted. I need to be renewed. But whatever it is, if you need God to do a healing work, you want to leave free from the depression you walked in with, I'm just going to invite you with me to just lift both your hands up today. You and Jesus. Say, I'm struggling with depression, and I need freedom through Jesus Christ today. Our God is a healer. I want to pray for you today. Leave your arms up. Just lift it to him. Jesus, we thank you that there is healing through you for every life. We thank you. We thank you, God, that by your stripes we are healed, that there is nothing greater than you, that depression is not greater than you, that it does not rule this generation, that it does not rule over this church, that it does not rule over the lives here and online, that it does not rule over this moment in this space, but God, you reign and rule over our lives. It is by your authority. We declare the authority of Jesus Christ that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit, and we speak out into authority over this place and we declare depression released in the name of Jesus. We pray anxiety released in the name of Jesus. We pray sorrow replaced by joy. We pray darkness replaced by light by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray right now we release it to you God. All the things that have been pinned to us, all the lies of the enemy that need to be stripped away, we lay them at your feet and we thank you Jesus that where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. That those things do not need to hold us or bind us or tear us down, but there is life. I pray right now, joy. I pray for a release from depression in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, mighty God. We thank you, mighty God. Just take a moment, wherever you are, just begin to speak to him and just invite him. Maybe it's not over your life. You feel free from depression. Just begin to pray over this room and over this space. Begin to pray over this generation that struggles with depression. Begin to pray over this city and over this nation. Come on, begin to lift your voice and begin to pray, God. We pray a mighty freedom in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit of freedom from depression today. In Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The band's going to lead us, and I'm just going to open the altar and invite you. If you need God to move in your life, I want to invite you to come forward and have a moment. You and God, if it's for depression, anything in your life, I open the altar, and I invite you, come forward, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and receive healing this morning, because healing is here. The Spirit of God is here this morning. Let's worship.